Well, thank you very much. And let's start because I will try to keep my to keep it in time. On April the 27th, John Boehner, the former Speaker of the United States House of Representatives, referred to Ted Cruz, one of the Republican presidential candidates, as, I quote, Lucifer in the flesh, in an interview at Stanford University. Was here John Boehner referring to a pol political demonology? Do John Boehner's notoriously principled political positions rely on a political theology? Or should we rather understand this catchphrase as a polemical attack consciously located, no, consciously conceived to question the honesty of the Bible wielding Christian? In any case, this anecdote should remind us, I think, that where God and the evil are at, at play, it does not necessarily follow that the substantive political theology is at stake. The interpretation of Carl Schmitt as a political theologian has become dominant in the last years. The first contextual reason for this dominance is actually only loosely related to Carl Schmitt. In the wake of the, of the return of religion as a major political factor, many examples of course, in this context political theology can be understood as a concept bringing together politics and religion, similar to the concept to the concept of political religions, which is also currently drawing uh, attention in different books. But this broad use of the concept of political theology shares only a superficial similarity with Schmidt's concept, I think. The second reason for the dominance of the interpretation of Schmidt as a political theologian is more directly related to his work. In recent years, political theology came to be considered as a possibility to develop a radical critique of the present human condition and, of, and a critique of our political institutions. Slavoj Žižek and especially George Agamben, whose thought deeply relies on Schmitt's influence, are the most obvious examples. Even the French public intellectual Alain Badiou felt compelled to wrap his Maoist stances in theological paper and published a book on St. Paul in 1997. This growing interest in political theology as a political discourse is undoubtedly related to his suggestive power, I think, to its capacity to fascinate, to bypass arguments, and to conjure memories of absolute truth and sharp distinctions in our irresolute time. Though all these elements are already present in Schmidt's work, there is also another a third one, more precise reason for the dominance of political theology in Schmidt's reception itself. A major breakthrough is associated with studies of Heinrich Meyer, a German scholar, especially with the lesson of Karl Schmidt, who four chapters of, on the distinction between political theology and political philosophy, which he published in German in 1994. It has been translated to English, Chinese, Japanese, um, French also. So it's quite an important book in Schmidt's reception today. In this book, Meyer makes a strong case for interpreting Schmidt as a Christian, even as a Catholic political theologian, because he sees his political theory as grounded in the biblical faith in the revelation of God. More precisely, in his own words, in Meyer's words, I quote, the belief in the truth of Genesis 3.15 
I will put enmity between thy seed and her seed, is the foundation on which Schmidt's political theology is erected. Aside from Meyer's actual pro project, which, which is much more committed to Leo Strauss than to Karl Schmidt, this affirmation aims at answering a fundamental question in the reception of Schmidt, namely the question of the core of the leading principle of his thought. Here is the answer according to Meyer, Karl Schmidt is a political theologian. Within this frame of interpretation, further differentiations are possible. For many reasons, I take the attempt to read into Schmidt a political demonology or a modern Marcionism, as we shall see this actually the same thesis, for such a subclass of the political theology thesis. There are of course several alternatives to this interpretation. Following Meyer's book, a huge resistance came for example from uh, people who promoted a juridical reading of Schmidt's work. Some of them were actually re related to the new right, for example Alain de Benoit, and uh, the new right is more or tries to, uh, to revive a sort of neo-paganism, that's why they were not very interested in turning Schmidt into a convinced Christian. But the most serious alternative, I think, to the political theology thesis is a different, a more radical one. The thesis of occasional decisionism, it's my title, uh, in my title, according to which the core of Schmidt's thought is precisely its emptiness, which leads to an adaptability to the respectively factual situation and to the resolute acceptance of any decision overcoming the, nihil the nihilism of modern times. On this, on this basis, I would like to show that associating Schmidt with political demonology fails to bring convincing arguments against the occasional decisionist thesis. Firstly, I will reconstruct how the interpretation of Schmidt as an example of political demonology came to being. Secondly, I will show why this thesis should be, I think, considered as a, as a subclass of the political theology thesis and which are the main characteristics of the latter. And finally, I will attempt to make clear that emphasizing political theology in Schmidt's work does not escape the fundamental objection of occasional decisionism and this, and this has consequences not only regarding Schmidt, but also for political theology or political demonology as such today. The attempt to interpret Schmidt's work as an example of political demonology is not very common in the reception, and its origin can therefore be, be easily traced back to a book published in Germany in 2007 by Richard Faber, a former student of Jakob Taubes. In our context, Jakob Taubes himself is a significant figure, since the political demonology thesis has to be considered as a further development of his own ideas, with which it also shares the same weaknesses. Jakob Taubes, a professor of Jewish studies, born in 1923 and deceased in 1987, played a central role in the reception of Karl Schmidt after the Second World War, and this for many reasons. He is first one of those who only overemphasized the importance of political theology in Schmidt's work and who contributed to make him palatable for the radical left. His major and most durable achieve achievement, I think, has been to establish a strong connection between Walter Benjamin and Karl Schmidt by magnifying actually the only letter Benjamin wrote to Schmidt, and which is actually uh, not very... Um, which is very, very short and not very uh, meaningful. More important for our topic is the fact that Taubes is at the origin of the concept of modern Marcionism. 
What is made by this? As is often the case with Taubus, one should not expect a complete and detailed theory, but rather, rather a sketchy set of ideas. Marcionism does not directly refers, refer to a historical reality, but to several central thoughts associated with Marcion, uh, who, uh, who was an important but heterodox, actually uh, heretic thinker of early Christianity. Moreover, it's important to notice that these uh, thoughts, uh, which we can find in um, Taubes' work, does not directly come from Marcion, but actually from Adolf von Harnack, a theologian who wrote the, uh, the most important uh, book on Marcion in 1921. Modern Marcionism, according to Taubes, refers to a modern actualization of Marcion's dualistic doctrine between a uh, an evil creator of the, of the Ancient Testament and the merciful redeemer of the New Testament, an actualization especially present in uh, Ernst Bloch's and Martin Buber's work. They use Marcion actually to develop their own political messianism, since the Marcion dualism permitted to radically call into question the state of the world as it is. Therefore, since the beginning, actually, modern Marcionism is essentially a polemical position aiming at securing an ideological background for attacking the existing order. Modern Marcionism is less a theological position than a discursive weapon. Both regarding its aims and its means, this thesis is actually very similar to the more developed but equally problematic and unconvincing modern Gnosticism that has been defended at the same time by other authors uh, for example, by Eric Foglin. And in fact, there, there seems to be a great confusion between these categories in the reception of Carl Schmitt, as we can see in uh, Richard Faber's book, who, lab who labels Schmitt as a Marcionate, Gnostic, and Manichaean altogether. As a matter of fact, modern Marcionism is already a deeply flawed thesis, but how did it came to a new step to political demonology? One should differentiate, I think, two understandings of this thesis, a substantive and a polemical one. The substantive understanding of political demonology essentially depends on the conception of modern Marcionism, since it presupposes that Schmidt makes a fundamental distinction between an evil creator and a merciful redeemer. There are, as, as we shall see, as we, as we will see, some arguments for this assumption in his writings, especially in the second political theology. But the political demonology thesis goes actually further. It justifies the transition from the, from the label Marcionism to the label demonology by arguing that the evil creator is actually, for Schmidt, Satan, the Antichrist. Hence, according to the substantive view, the main dualism in Schmidt's thought is no other than God versus Satan, not only the evil, redeem the evil creator against the evil, the merciful redeemer, sorry, but God versus Satan. And this transition is, as far as I see, simplistic and groundless. There is also a, a second, weaker way to understand political demonology that I will call the polemical understanding. According to this view, political demonology would refer to the way Schmidt demonizes his adversaries, just like his models, the theorists of the counter-revolution, like Donos or Cortes, did. Schmidt's identification with Dostoevsky's great inquisitor, that is, with the religion that is not fo focused on moral pur purity, but on power relations, corroborates this interpretation, I think. 
it does not necessarily mean that demonology, or rather, rather I think, demonization, are merely rhetorical categories. Political theology can also be understood as a theologization of politics, especially in the case of, decision, of decisionism, sorry, which has to rely on metaphors to guarantee the practical effectiveness of decision. Because it's the, um, in, in a broader framework, so to say, uh, which tries to, to interpret Schmidt's thought as decisionism. In that case, political demonology refers to the performative act of the demonization of adversaries and therefore has, first and foremost, a polemical meaning. Hence, it is very different from the substantive understanding of political demonology, which also presupposes a substantive concept of political theology. So I, I just wanted to try to differentiate between these uh, two understandings of political demonology, and my purpose is basically to try to show that maybe one could accept this polemical understanding of political demonology, but not the substantive one. In fact, such an understanding of political theology, substantive political theology, has been put forward by Schmidt himself in different works written in the aftermath of World War II, not least as an apologetic effort to present himself as a Catholic thinker, as a, I quote, Catholic epim uh, Christian epimethus, who merely has been wrong about historical events, but remain, remains kind of very convinced Christian. In his Glossarium, a diary that he wrote between 1947 and 1951, and undoubtedly wanted to be published, it's actually quite interesting because uh, Schmidt has a horrible handwriting normally, uh, and, but you can see in his diaries that at some point he, he changed this handwriting and, and started to write in a, in a different way so that people could actually read it and publish it. And I think he even writes at some point, uh, if uh, the, 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 read the, the parts you can read starts page uh, so and so, so that people could really start there and, uh, and later maybe publish it. So in this writing, you can find the most famous argument in favor of a substantive theology in Schmidt's writings. Here, he openly reveals the key of his thoughts, in his own words, the Catholic intensification. German's first form. Nonetheless, the substantive political theology remains scattered in Schmidt's work. As I have mentioned before, the most articulate understanding of this conception of political theology is not to be found in Schmidt's own writings, but in this reconstruction of Heinrich Meyer in this uh, book I, I mentioned before. Um, the main elements, according to Meyer, are first. Uh, that political theology is ultimately based upon God's revelation, that this is the most fundamental principle in, in Schmidt's political theology, and thus that theology and not the political comes first, that's uh, the most important, important point. The political consequence of this is also that uh, this political theology guarantees the existence of the, th of the totality of the political, because God's revelation itself is the origin of enmity, and that's the, at the core of Schmidt's thought. Uh, that's the quotes of Genesis 3.15 uh, I already gave in, 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 in the introduction, sorry. And these two elements, the revelation and the enmity, are parts of a third meaning of political theology, 
political theology as a comprehensive worldview, as I would say. According to Meyer, every theoretical position of Schmidt has to be referred to his political theology, especially to his fear of the Antichrist and to the necessity to restrain its appearance. Schmidt's concept of the catacomb, it's a famous concept in his late work, becomes the core principle of a philosophy of history that reveals the true meaning of historical events and justifies the necessity to protect the retaining instance, the political order in each situation. Consequently, even Schmidt's decision for the National Socialist in 1933 and his, I quote, Christian anti-Judaism have to be seen as consequences of his political theology. That's one consequence of, of this uh, substantive thesis, a problematic one, of course. Considering this, I, it should be clear that the attempt to base Schmidt's thought upon a substantive political theology is also conceived as, a, as the strongest way to rebuke any critique making a claim about its opportunism or, more precisely, its occasionalism. But is this attempt actually convincing? As I would like to show the idea of a substantive political theology, and therefore substantive political demonology, it's always in the background, as it is reconstructed on the, ba on the basis of Schmidt's works, does not succeed to overcome the critical perspective known as occasional decisionism. Furthermore, since the substantive political theology is the basis of the substantive political demonology, as I've said, my critique also implies that uh, the substantive political demonology is, in the end, uh, unfounded. Occasionalism should not be mistaken for mere opportunism or relativism. Nor should one think that referring to God is enough to avoid it. Like, it cannot be so opportunist because he believes in God, or this kind of argument. The concept of occasionalism that I am using has been developed by Schmidt himself against romantic writers in his political romanticism. As he makes clear in this book, the core of romanticism, its metaphysical position, is its occasionalism, that is, a body of thought whose center is the concept of occasion in place of cause. In this worldview, there is simply no causality, no norm. Everything and event is explained by the changing and unique occasion, by fortune. But this does not mean that God is rejected altogether. In an occasionalist system, as Schmidt himself shows by mentioning the, I quote, true Catholic Malbranche, God can remain the last instance, the only cause of everything. The world's only purpose is to give God the occasion to show his overwhelming power. In the system, God does not disappear. It, he possesses, on the contrary, an arbitrary and inexplicable power. This worldview, according to Schmidt, becomes problematic in the aftermath of the process of secularization, since any absolute authority, for example, the state or the dictator, can replace God in the eyes of the <coughs> romantic thinker. Nothing prevents him from, be from becoming, I quote Schmidt, a servile public officer. In Schmidt's own words, I quote, everything that is romantic is at the disposal of other energies that are unromantic, and the, sub and the sublime evaluation above definition and decision is transformed into a subversion attendance upon alien power and alien decision, end quote. Schmidt's quote. Uh, one always has to, uh, to think about um, 
what, co what, 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 would come, what will come uh, after this. Considering this, it is easy to understand why some, criti why some, why some critics try to turn Schmidt's attack against Romanticism against himself. But what one could see the substantive political theology as it is constructed by Schmidt and in his late works and reconstructed by Meyer as an effective protection against occasional decisionism. That was actually his own attempt to try to show that his thought had a substantive core. So would it be justified? Uh, in my opinion, uh, no. It is not justified since the substantive political theology is actually a formal one. It retains the form of theology without any content. Contrarily to Kierkegaard, Donoso Cortes, Bonald and de Mestre, all of which are mentioned by Schmidt as early examples of decisionism, Schmidt's own decision is never founded on an, on an eternal measure on a substantive conception of Christianity. Schmidt's deci decisionism is essentially profane since, since it seems only motivated by the, by the factual situation and the necessity to legitimate the factual order. Even the delayed theory of the catacomb, which I, I've mentioned, focuses on the fact, on the necessity of the, politi of the political order and not on its quality. That's the decisive uh, point. Schmidt's political theology does not make a difference, a difference between Augustine, Calvin, Luther or Khomeini since it only needs theology as a means to create unity against an enemy. The theologian, uh, I think an Austrian theologian, Wolfgang Palaver, uh, rightly emphasizes, I think, that Schmidt, unlike, for example, Rousseau, seems to consider Christian theology as an equivalent to, na to an archaic myth that is not, an, not as an expression of truth that could endanger the political authority, but as a means to create social unity. Christianity is not a danger anymore. It's like more a way to legitimate uh, the political order. In this regard, Meyer's own Heinrich Meyer's own criteria corroborate this view, I think. The unconditional belief in the, in the revelation of God, the givenness of enmity, the catechon as a philosophy of history are all formal, empty elements that only refer to a power structure but without any normative content. When you say Schmidt believes in the revelation of God, without saying anything about the content, the content of, of, of this revelation, it's actually, um, well, meaningless, I would say. It is actually no coincidence that Schmidt himself advocated a political theology and at the same time tried to deconstruct precisely the ethical content of the Christian revelation. The most famous example is what he says about um, the appeal to love your enemies, tries to disconnect it from uh, any political meaning. As uh, Hans Blumenberg, a German philosopher, and Karl Löwit, another German philosopher, had understood early, the proclaimed political theology reveals itself as a means, as a political theology in a formal sense. Schmidt takes side with the great inquisitor. He needs a domesticated form of Christian political theology to theologize politics, to bring back into modern times a model of unquestionable authority. Yet he is in reality precisely in the same situation that as the romantic writer who in the wake of secularization becomes godless but does not want to let go the idea of an, of an incomprehensible transcendent source of authority and, pref and prefers to preserve God's remains for later use. Precisely in that formal sense, 
is political theology still present nowadays? Such as in the few examples I, I mentioned at the beginning, for example, uh, Badius' book on St. Paul. What remains is a, pol is a polemical, occasional position, a position that is much more elaborate and dangerous, I think, than John Byner's rhetoric, but aims at the same effect. Politics and not theology is its prime mover. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs>